Hello and welcome to SearchCast, a podcast hosted by Isaacson Miller. My name is Rhett Sosby, and I'm a people and culture specialist here at the firm and a producer of this podcast, along with Devin Benjamin. I am pleased to introduce today's hosts. We have Jackie Milner and Ryan Leichenauer. Jackie is a partner at Isaacson Miller and has led a broad array of executive searches in higher education, as well as for a variety of nonprofit organizations serving the civic sector. This is also her second time hosting the podcast, so thanks for doing this again, Jackie. Ryan is a senior associate at IM and former executive director of the Elkhorn Valley Museum, a regional history museum, and membership manager at the Association of Children's Museums. Our guest today is Juliet Bianco. Juliet has 25 years of experience as an art museum professional and has just been named director of the Weatherspoon Art Museum at the University of North Carolina at Greensboro. She joins UNCG from the Hood Museum of Art at Dartmouth College, where she served in various leadership capacities, including deputy director since 2013. Her career and scholarship have focused on university museums as centers of innovative teaching and learning and hubs for exploring diversity and creative partnerships. Her efforts to make the museum professional field more inclusive were awarded a Diversifying Art Museum Leadership Initiative grant from the Ford Foundation and Walton Family Foundation. We're thrilled to have you, Juliet. And with that, I'm going to turn it over to Jackie and Ryan. Hey, thank you, Rhett. And welcome, Juliet. Thank you so much for speaking with us today. I'm thrilled to be with you. Thanks for having me. We want to talk a bit about certainly how COVID has become a challenge in your work and how you're finding solutions. But first, tell us your story. Tell us a bit about yourself and how you got involved in the work you do. Yeah, thank you so much. I think that um, museums and education have been a part of my life um, for my entire cognizant life. Uh, and my own experiences have really informed my educational and my professional choices. Uh, I'm the product of first generation high school and college graduates. My parents um, uh, really uh, credit public education with with uplifting their own lives. They met at the City University of New York's uh, Queens College, and they both received bachelor's degrees there uh, at no cost um, as New York City residents at the time. My mother did her high school homework sitting on a bench in the Metropolitan Museum of Art, which was also free to her. And so I grew up in an environment understanding what access to education and to museums uh, really can mean for a lot of people. And it meant a lot to me. Um, you know, publicly accessible museums like the Met, in fact, which opened in 1870, were really founded alongside a lot of our college and and universities. So um, the University of North Carolina Greensboro, for example, was established around that same time uh, in the early 1890s. And so there's a sense of, um, for me, growing up and benefiting from um, those influences. Uh, But two things that really most profoundly affected my entry into the museum world were paid internships um, and entry-level work. Uh, and then opportunities to be mentored. And I think it's important to um, mention those uh, influences me uh, because there have traditionally been a lot of opportunities for volunteering in the museum field, um, which is a barrier for many people as it would have been for me uh, to enter into the field. 
And that's been thankfully changing, but it's important um, that the issues highlighted, particularly for historically underrepresented students. And in my research and practice, I've learned that access to paid internships um, is a critical strategy for museums and campus museums in particular to affect change um, for students and museum uh, and for the greater community. So I was a beneficiary of that. When I was a college student, I interned at the Fitchburg Art Museum in Massachusetts. I interned at the St. Gaudens National Historic Park in Cornish, New Hampshire. Um, I was mentored um, by museum directors and registrars and curators at both of those places. I had two paying jobs when I was in graduate school at the University of Chicago in the Smart Museum of Art. Uh, worked in the registrar's office, making one of their first ever online databases, which was basically like an Excel spreadsheet. Um, and I was an instructor in the education department's uh, sixth grade multi-visit program. Uh, and then I entered um, my my museum, my work at the Hood Museum. And um, as uh, mentioned, I have had a variety of roles at the museum, but I've really been able to continue to grow and change along with the Hood Museum of Art, building on the experiences I've had across so many different museum um departments, which is kind of unusual, um, having experience in curatorial exhibitions, registration, education, um, and being mentored in those have really kind of allowed me um, being paid and learning from the ground up to be a museum administrator um, and to understand how all of these areas knit together in serving um, the purpose of the museum for all of its visitors, for the campus, for the community. Uh, and most recently, my work as deputy director, I've been able to help lead the Hood Museum's physical transformation through a um, $50 million uh, expansion and renovation of its facility, all in service to um, its campus and community audiences. Thank you. As, as we mentioned, you're now transitioning to a new gig. You're, yes. You've been named the director of the Weatherspoon at the University of North Carolina, Greensboro. Mm -hmm. What drew you there? What's compelling about that opportunity? So many things. Uh, I don't even know where to start. Um, I am so looking forward to, to joining the um, University of North Carolina, Greensboro, Weatherspoon, uh, Greater Greensboro community. Uh, I've known about the Weatherspoon Art Museum by reputation for nearly 20 years. Uh, I worked with the museum uh, actually in 2003 to present selections from their Japanese print collection at the Hood Museum of Art. Uh, in partnership with a, a Dartmouth faculty member. Uh, and so um, first off, then, you know, the museum's diverse collections, its embrace of women historically underrepresented artists, um, highlighted by the fact that it is a museum that's focused on modern and contemporary art. Uh, I think like no time before, uh, the art of our time, is, uh, the connectedness, the um, understanding uh, of, of how we as humans and how artists um, address um, and struggle with the problems of today uh, is a, a longstanding and deep commitment of UNCG, uh, but also the Weatherspoon Art Museum uh, that has really compelled me um, to join their community. I'm really excited that UNCG has such a deep and longstanding commitment to educating students who apply aspire to be teachers. I talked a little bit about my own background there. Um, and the students who will learn with the Weatherspoon Art Museum staff, collections, exhibitions, programs, um, and go into education, they're going to be um, the people who shape 
uh, the society of the future. And so contributing to that tangibly uh, through the Weatherspoon Art Museum is something that's really exciting to me. Uh, the Weatherspoon's mission um, to connect multiple communities and to recognize uh, public service. This is also um, a really important value of UNCG writ large, um, but how that's manifest uh, in the Weatherspoon's mission um, and how we can learn by affecting change is something that I'm hoping to amplify uh, once I arrive there as well. Um, and I guess finally, I'll say that UNCG and the Weatherspoon uh, are working to create a pipeline to help diversify cultural leadership through um, a wonderful arts administration program, a museum studies program, and participating in that um, as much as possible is a way for the Weatherspoon to have an impact um, on uh, the future of our leadership. In this country. Uh, and the Weatherspoon's free. I believe very strongly in museums being free and their programs being free. And um, I'm glad to uh, be joining an organization uh, that shares those values. Um, I guess the last thing I'll just mention about joining UNCG in general is that there is um, a value uh, for human experience and creativity um, within a global context that is very much articulated through UNCG's um, Giant Steps strategy uh, going forward, its strategic plan, focusing on transformation of student experience, knowledge development, community engagement, uh, and all of these uh, very important goals for the university um, resonate with what a campus museum can and should be providing to its students, its faculty, and to the greater community. So partnering on those issues is more important than ever, uh, and I'm looking forward to it. Very exciting. Uh, mm -hmm. Taking a step back, can you tell us more about the hood and what's the general overview of that museum? Sure. Um, well, the Hood Museum of Art is um, a campus-based museum at Dartmouth College. Uh, the Hood um, is distinguished sort of in its history for being one of the oldest and largest campus-based museums in the country. Uh, the first, well, the museum itself um, was founded in 1985, uh, so relatively recently as the Hood Museum of Art, the collections of Dartmouth College and the care, housing, and teaching with them go all the way back um, to 1791, which is just a few years after the college itself was founded. Uh, so because of that, the collection is also very diverse um, and very large, about 65,000 objects in the collection. And so what the Hood has done um, since 1985, um, bringing those collections under one roof, has really um, helped to shape how um, interdisciplinary engagement with um, art and material culture uh, can support um, both curricular and co-curricular learning um, in colleges and universities. And the Hood has always played a leading role in, um, in that discourse. Um, and, you know, while Dartmouth students and faculty are our primary constituents, um, the Hood has also distinguished itself in extending that kind of visitor-centered learning to school-aged children's adult visitors, um, visitors of all ages, and really customizing that learning experience. So I think that's another way that the Hood has distinguished itself is that um, the, our staff works um, very dedicatedly to make sure that um, faculty members, teachers, community groups um, are really designing their experience along with us to make sure that it's relevant um, to what their learning goals are. 
Uh, and that's another practice we've really developed over um, the 30 years um, that the museum has um, been uh, in existence. You've written about a purpose-driven university museum and advocated yes. for that. Can you tell us more about what that means and how that differs from how museums may have operated in the past? Sure. Um, I think uh, a purpose-driven museum, or is how, it, and, and my understanding of it uh, continues to develop. Um, but for me, it's really, first of all, a museum that articulates its mission or its purpose uh, in terms that can be measured, um, usually quantitative, qualitatively for art museums, uh, the quality of the experience, the description of the experience, um, and also one that's holding itself accountable for its actions um, in service to uh, its audiences. And so what that means really is that a purpose-driven museum is one that's dedicated to serving the museum experience. So when I first wrote and thought about the Purpose Driven Museum, um, the Hood Museum was working to really understand how to best support meaningful museum uh, encounters for all of its audiences. And you quickly fall into this conundrum that museum campus museum leaders um, for uh, you know decades um, have been struggling with: is how do you um, serve um, both the campus? and the community. Um, and there's a little bit of a push and pull between that, what we used to refer to as like a town and gown kind of conundrum. Um, so that's an audience-centered um, conundrum. Uh, and then museums in general, art museums, campus and otherwise, tend to describe their purposes in terms of their activities. They collect, preserve, exhibit, interpret. Um, and you can still see this across many purpose statements. So um, if you kind of have what you do on one hand and who you do it for on the other, what I was interested in thinking was rather um, asking, well, it's everything or it's both saying, well, is there a more reflective or more responsive way to describe the purpose of a museum on a college campus specifically and to focus on that? So um, cultivating teaching and learning with objects is a purpose that you can focus on and then you can differentiate. Well, okay, if that's our purpose, then how do you collect? How do you interpret? How do you reach out to your different audiences? But you keep that purpose at the center um, and use that to, to drive uh, the experiences or the activities of the museum. Um, so, you know, to, so I'll give you an example. So in, in 2008, um, as we were thinking about um, focusing on this idea of purpose, I'd say now one of the um, sort of biggest um, changes that we've done is how we've structured our staff. Uh, so in many museums, and this is changing across the board as well, um, you sort of have your staff that focuses on the academic um, engagement side, and you have your staff that focuses on the um, community education side. Uh, well, we actually restructured and brought all of our um, educators together into one department. And that's not just, um, you know, for show or on a piece of paper. You know, what happened was that we learned how um, together, um, we understand that teaching and learning strategies can be shared, they can be adapted, they can support the purpose of the museum better together than separately. So when you're innovating in the field of, say, K-12 through education, there are applicable benefits um, to teaching uh, in the academy as well. Uh, and so that kind of structural change 
can lead to programmatic change. And that's something if you're thinking about a purpose-driven museum, you can do. I guess I'd just like to add that um, since then, if I were to think about, well, what have I learned since then? Or how is my understanding of a purpose-driven museum uh, change? I'd say that noticing what's happening around us is just as important and possibly more important um, sometimes than intentional behavior. I think sometimes it's one thing to say, you know, hey, we completed a five-year strategic plan. Great. Look at everything we said we were going to do and we did it. Um, And it's another thing to say, well, we noticed X and so we need to change Y. And that's... um, comes of paying a lot of attention to what's happening and acting out of multiple experiences. The museum staff's experience, um, the visitor, individual visitor's experience, the society, the culture, the physical factors around you that all go into every museum encounter. So, you know, I guess moving forward, what I'd like to add to the purpose-driven museum is kind of how we pay attention to and how we incorporate learning not just as an output of the museum, but really into that mission itself, into the operation of the museum itself. Um, Understanding that as cultures change, museums can and should change along with them. Mm -hmm. On a a very much related theme, one of your focuses has been DEI issues. You already mentioned accessibility and internships, uh, especially with recent events, social justice is in the forefront of the news how does a museum uh, effectively embrace diversity, equity, inclusion today? Yeah, it, um, well, museums must recognize that our uh, contribution to uh, creating um, and sustaining not only um, access uh, to the collection, to um, the resources, um, to participating in what a museum community looks like, um, that a museum community is in fact an inclusive community, uh, that multiple perspectives, uh, multiple points of view uh, contributing to the life of the museum um, is absolutely critical. And that museums also have created and sustained barriers to education, to employment, to information access, to participating and shaping the future of our museums. Um, And so, you know, who we're for and how that's manifest in our spaces and our policies and our staff and our collections and our programs. um, These are all really important um, issues for museums to uh, address if they're going to truly embrace diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, So, uh, you know, museums that we all know how much or, or, you know, many of us hope um, that there's some understanding that museums can contribute to promoting inclusive society, but, you know, maintaining or hiding behind that status quo is simply not an option uh, for museums. The activities of exhibitions and acquisitions and programs, these are all you know, single um, gestures that museums can and often make towards diversity, equity, inclusion, that does not initiate or anticipate systemic transformational change. 
to do that, you have to look at the context. For university museums, that's the context of the campus, the context of the culture, the context of society, um, and really understanding um, that, uh, and um, there's some great research on organizational culture and leadership, uh, that understanding the beliefs, the values, the norms of the institution um, need to change in order for there to be um, societal change. Uh, And that's really where museums have a tremendous opportunity to support um, a growing and changing um, and more just society and museums as participants in that, but understanding that the activities of a museum, the visible activities of a museum are a manifestation of its values. Uh, And so museums really need to look at their structural and cultural components um, of uh, what underlies the experience that anyone has of the museum through its website or through work, walking into its galleries or participating in a program. And um, this work really excites me um, because I think museums have a lot to learn um, and a lot to contribute. And um, I think it's important for us to understand that structurally and culturally um, we're making choices every day. So um, we can put human resources towards new goals um, we can support new curricular and pedagogical approaches in university museums, and we can establish and look at our policies and budget allocations and make sure that they are aligned with the institutional values structurally. And, you know, culturally, um, cultivating new relationships, um, abandoning old arguments, well, we couldn't do this because that, and we can't do this because why, or we always do this because Z. Um, you know, some of those arguments just need to be left behind. Uh, and then really thinking about um, new voices in the conversation and inviting new voices into conversation in a way that affects change. Um, I think broadly are all ways that uh, a campus museum that's embracing diversity, equity, and inclusion can promote inclusive ways of thinking and acting. Um, I have a couple of other uh, specific ideas around that, unless um, this answer has been too long. No, no, go ahead. Okay. Because <laughs> uh, this is something I've thought a lot about, and I just finished um, my doctorate in education, um, and it's a- around a lot of these issues, um, both my research and my practice really coming together around this. And so, um, you know, some tangible steps that museums, um, campus museums in particular, can be taking. Um, sharing power is a really big one. Uh, within museum structures, museums that are embracing um, equity, diversity, and inclusion are looking at the power structures within their institutions um, and uh, ensuring that more diverse and representative work is produced through more diverse and representative um, people at the table. This includes student participation um, in um, the power to make decisions uh, at the museum. We talked about increasing access and inviting interpretive participation. Um, You know, I was really inspired in my research um, in the 1970s. Professor Harold Curo uh, was a professor of the historically Black Southern University uh, at NANM. And uh, he understood then um, through the campus museum there that empathy, social justice, a broader worldview 
are all promoted um, with a museum experience, with having a museum uh, on campus for students to participate in. Uh, and that message is um, just as important or, or more important than ever. Um, museums can be reconsidering their museum practices um, and thinking about how current people's experiences and the contemporary context and different ways of knowing and understanding the world contribute to creating a more inclusive museum. Uh, and then finally, cultivating pathways to diversify leadership. And you mentioned this in the beginning, um, the Ford and Walton Foundation grant that the museum is just completing a three-year grant, um, thinking about how the museum is actively contributing to cultivating um, pathways to diversify leadership um, through inclusive hiring practices, um, including staff internships and diversifying their boards. There's a lot of great work to be done. Um, and uh, this is work that museums, um, when uh, addressed, will will and should be manifest in visible changes in how visitors experience museums. Um, so there's, there's, there's a lot to look forward to, and there's a lot of hard work to do. Thank you. Uh, so COVID, of course, is mm. affecting all of our lives and certainly yes. cultural institutions. And universities are grappling with their plans for the fall with some of them either not coming back to campus or changing or curtailing the on-campus experiences and events. So how has COVID changed how a university art museum works with constituencies, maybe starting with faculty and students? Yeah, I mean, you know, COVID-19, uh, sometime in mid-March, give or take a week, um, depending on where you lived, was a sort of a forced disruption for all of us, uh, a, a major forced disruption for how our colleges and university um, faculty and administration was uh participating and delivering education and um, how students were experiencing that education. Uh, and I, I had two college students um, who returned here home with me. So I was able to um, see that side of um, the learning experience as well as they finished their semesters here online. And, um, you know, faculty were really faced with this big problem about how to transform an in-person experience to an online platform really overnight. And, um, you know, there are many great examples of online education uh, that's developed over, um, you know, many, uh, many years, uh, specifically for the online. And then suddenly you have all these faculty members who are asking to just kind of invent vent that for themselves. And so it's been um, remarkable to see um, how that um, transformation has happened and how museums can really um, reach out and start with asking, you know, how can we help transform that classroom experience? What can we bring to the table um, that will be valuable for you? And, um, you know, uh, museums are, are tend to be very high touch institutions in a lot of ways, art museums. I think sometimes um, if we, when we step back and we think about an art museum experience, it can seem a little bit removed. Um, but in fact, um, there's always hundreds of events going on. Students and faculty are in the galleries, in the classroom, meeting friends. We're picking up maps. We're picking up brochures. We're sitting on a bench um, to rest, uh, answer a phone call, spend more time looking at a work of art. We're peering over cases with objects. We're reading wall labels. 
um, none of these things translate to um, an experience during COVID-19 and probably won't for the foreseeable future. So um, we're not only thinking about how to adapt our spaces going forward, but what we can learn from what we have been able to accomplish supporting faculty and students um, in the past few months uh, moving forward. And so some of the things that I've seen happening um, at the Hood Museum and elsewhere um, is that uh, museums are um, successful when they're staying attached to their own purpose, their own identity, um, the experience of the museum. I think, you know, why you would go to one museum over another, particularly in cities where you have a choice um, because of um, the experience it delivers does translate to online. So um, staying true to your um, mission purpose and that experience, I think, is something that um, faculty and students, but also the, um, the public is uh, really uh, valuing. Um, we've learned through uh, teaching with our collection um, for a couple of different courses uh, one thing that I think is that will possibly uh, affect how we move going forward is that our educators have experimented with some different platforms. So Zoom, obviously, um, and you can do both synchronous and asynchronous uh, teaching on Zoom, but then also using VoiceThread. And um, what our academic programming curator told me recently was that you know she had never used VoiceThread, and. What she saw happening is that normally, uh, you know, faculty members teaching a course, um, say for 10 weeks, and there are some museum visits that are scheduled as part of, of the term. Uh, and so you have the classroom experience, and then you go to the museum um, to look at the objects to discuss them for maybe a one hour, two hour class, and then it's back to the classroom. Um, well, she was teaching with one course using VoiceThread. And what she found was that because the voice thread would be open for, say, a week, the students had an opportunity to reflect on what they were seeing, reflect on what they were learning about the objects. And the conversations um, were moving forward in ways that um, benefited from sustained engagement. So perhaps the uh, one or two hour class model, um, which is, of course, very valuable because there is no... Um, substitute for experiencing the object in real life may privilege students who are literally good at thinking on their feet because most of the time, many times they're standing. Uh, so, but for some students who might um, be um, needing to think a little bit more, reflect a little more, they can participate in that museum conversation uh, a little bit more um, comfortably. Um, so, you know, I think one thing we may be moving towards, which would be a, an exciting change, is how can we create sort of a hybrid experience of the uh, in-gallery um, or classroom experience with the objects and then a more sustained uh, conversation uh, over some period of time. That's something we probably wouldn't have experienced um, or experimented with otherwise. Um, I think in a lot of museums also... Um, one new practice, again, something we've talked about for a long time, but I don't think um, really did, um, was thought about how to bring in experts in the field um, from other parts of the country or other parts of the world into the conversation through video conferencing. Uh, it always sounded like a, a wonderful ideal, um, but it, it seemed more complicated than it does now uh, to tap into those resources um, around the world. And so 
Uh, I think that um, broadening the dialogue within the museum context um, by being more inclusive uh, of others' experiences is something else that we could do. Uh, So for example, at the Hood this term, our curator of Native American art was teaching a course that was meant to be based entirely on the museum's collections. This was a 10-week course, couldn't do it. Uh, So instead, she got a small grant to invite, I think, eight of the artists whose work they would be studying to conference in with the students. So what the students um, got in the course of of their 10-week study was an opportunity to engage directly um, with the artists and to enter into a dialogue with them. Uh, And so that, I think, is another exciting opportunity for the future that was born of this disruption for all of our institutions. Thank you. So it sounds like COVID is driving some innovation that uh, will be exciting to see. Very quickly before we switch topics again, um, include the larger off-campus community in mm-hmm. this post-COVID engaged university art museum vision. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that um, similarly, uh, staying staying attached to the purpose of the museum and the experience of the museum um, and thinking about how to sustain that during COVID and during a very gradual um, and staged uh, reopening of our museums eventually. Um, This hybrid, I think, is something that's going to stay important um, because there will be um, fewer people um, at any one time. How can we make sure that the experience is accessible in different ways? Um, so uh, some ways that museums are initiating that kind of engagement and that we've done at the museum is translating some of the programs to an online platform that, again, um, uh, maintains that personal relationship with the audience. Um, so one example at the Hood is that um, we had a program started just last year called Storytime in the Galleries, and it was for toddlers uh, and their um, parents or guardians. And it was hugely successful. We had not um, done a program specifically targeted that age group um, before. And we started adding them on Saturdays or Sundays like crazy. Well, translating that to an online format in some ways seems easy. But I think what um, is important to understand is that, that seeing that familiar face. So our you know museum educator um, sat on the floor, uh, read a story, had a conversation with the with the toddlers. And so seeing her face um, and connecting her with an experience that's positive and meaningful um, has been really important um, to keep that connection. Uh, And so I think programs like that, that can um, keep the communities connected through those relationships um, will be really important going uh, forward. Likewise, um, we started an armchair tour program for seniors who are living in general population or assisted living uh, divisions of, of senior, senior housing, uh, et cetera. And so um, these programs um, help combat isolation. Um, and those issues, those, those experiences d- won't go away um, anytime soon, uh, and not even when uh, we get through this um, health crisis. So understanding how to serve those audiences going forward using some of these technologies, I think, will really en- enhance um, museums' abilities to connect. 
Similar to the idea of uh, isolation is that art plays a a large role in coping with uh, crisis and trauma. And uh, we're seeing a lot of that these days and people creating and engaging with the arts, sometimes in their homes or other creative ways uh, on social media. What do you see as the the future of university art museums in a changed world and along, along those themes? I think uh, college and university museums, first of all, um, can provide a platform for conversation that allows people to explore, um, as as you said, um, some of their thoughts, their uh, emotions, um, their approaches to their own lives and how they interact with others in a way that um, promotes um, sort of your your own thinking and your own development. So having um, a work of art that might be provocative, that might be particularly joyful um, or particularly discomforting um, or puzzling uh, in conversation with um, a number of people can promote understanding through addressing um, the object and learning from the object. Um, And particularly on campus museums is, uh, or at campus museums where students are understanding um, themselves um, and their future selves um, in the larger society, campus museums provide a wonderful opportunity to explore uh, some of those issues in a way that can um, help learn from other people's lived experiences through the shared engagement with a work of art. Um, and that that's something that uh, I think ha- can help campus museums um, support the uh, issues related to uh, social justice and also uh, related to how we cope with something like a, a global pandemic that um, will bring, you know, both comfort and learning um, uh, and new ideas of engaging and acting um, for many of our museum participants. Well, we just want to thank you, Juliet. You've covered so many interesting topics, and it really has been a pleasure, absolute pleasure to talk with you today. It's been wonderful to talk with you, and thank you for giving me the opportunity. Yeah, thanks to um, all three of you for that conversation, and thank you to the listener for tuning in. We would love for you to subscribe to this podcast so that you can catch up on our old episodes, as well as be the first to hear new ones. And we'd also invite you to visit imsearch.com for more information or follow Isaacson Miller on our socials, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram at Isaacson Miller. Isaacson Miller's podcast content provides general information only and does not constitute recruiting guidance or advice. No representations or warranties are made with respect to the accuracy or completeness of this content. All liability from the use or misuse of Isaacson Miller's content is hereby expressly disclaimed. The content contained in our podcasts should be used only at your own risk. Thank you.